Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. From a work standpoint, it's been interesting. Like we've never been more prolific with developing product. We have tremendous interest. And now it looks like, you know, we're starting to actually see some traction on, um, you know, closing deals for, for some of our annual programs and those sorts of things. So it's, it's just been really interesting. I think the biggest thing I take away from this is, is just that need to kind of reset. And if, if the reset hadn't happened for me, I think the product development stuff we did so well last year, it would have been hard to come away from, you know, revenue producing work for clients and then make e-learning systems and other things that we've done this year. So I think in some ways that forced reset is actually great for us because we come out of this from a product standpoint and an offering standpoint way stronger than we would have been a year ago. And I don't know if we would have done that work if we were, you know, wall to wall with paid engagements. Jeff is the CEO of the Supporting Lines Institute. He's also a certified master corporate executive coach, a seasoned C-suite business leader, and a yoga instructor. Jeff's personal mission is to inspire leaders and help teams perform so that people have a better human experience at work. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. Very excited to have my friend Jeff with us today. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How's, uh, how's, how's life these days with all these things that are happening in the world? Yeah, I mean, life's, life's good. We've got, uh, like everybody else, lots of, lots of different things. So you've got, you know, we had a, a very nice, long, extended summer. <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely trying to figure out what's going on. We have three children that are school age, so trying to figure out what's going on there. From a work standpoint, it's been interesting. Like, we've never been more prolific with developing product. We have tremendous interest. And now it looks like, you know, we're starting to actually see some traction on, um, you know, closing deals for, for some of our annual programs and those sorts of things. So it's, it's just been really interesting. I think, the biggest thing I take away from this is, is just that need to kind of reset. Yeah. And if, if the reset hadn't happened for me, I think the product development stuff we did so well last year, it would have been hard to come away from, you know, revenue producing work for clients and then make e-learning systems and other things that we've done this year. So I think in some ways that forced reset is actually great for us because we come out of this from a product standpoint and an offering standpoint way stronger than we would have been a year ago. And I don't yeah. know if we would have done that work if we were, you know, wall to wall with paid engagements. Yeah, no, absolutely. And p- part of what's happening right now in the world with coronavirus and, uh, you, you know, the many challenges that we're having is that organizations are, like you said before, taking this opportunity to pause, reflect, mm-hmm. and analyze whether what they're doing is the right thing to do, not only from a business perspective, but also from the, their own people's perspective, how, how to right. deliver yeah. A better, greater experience to their people, mm-hmm. knowing that they n- now it's evident all the difficulties they go through life, right? Yes. So, yeah, right. 
So, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like you see it in Zoom. I mean, you see in Zoom, one of your coworkers, you know, the three kids running around, the pets barking in the background, mom yelling, um, dad around. So it's, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a window into people's lives. And that has created, I, I think, a, a bit more of, of an empathetic approach to, mm -hmm. wow, these are humans. These are not just yeah, things that right. I bring to work. These are people that are having challenges and, and whatnot. So, so my question to you is, not only during these times of crisis, but going forward, how do we create a great experience at work? One where people are valued not only for, the, for what they bring to work, but for the humans mm -hmm. they are with all their baggage, with all the things that they, that, that they have going on in their lives. No, that's amazing. I, I think there's, I mean, what you talk about when you think about the, um, the Zoom effect, right? Where people like, this is, this is my living room. And sometimes right now my teenage daughters are asleep, but sometimes people, you know, they will see them walking through it. And I think you, there's two things that have happened. One is that people have this window into your, your literally like into your life. The other thing is that, uh, you know, I had a meeting the other day where uh, someone had walked by, I guess, and, and the person I was meeting with said, who's that in the background? And like, I didn't even notice the person go by on the screen. So it's just like, we've all gotten so used to it now that now it's almost yeah. like, you know, here I am. And when you think about what that is, it's inclusivity, right? So we do, we've done a ton of research on high performance cultures and inclusivity is one of the single most correlated items with all the other elements of our high performance index. And it makes sense because what you're talking about there is that people can bring them entire, their entire selves to work. And I think it's important to look at if someone's not included, two things. One, why is that? And then two is how is that showing up? So some people don't feel included and it might be a specific demographic issue for them. It could be something related to age. It could be population group or ethnicity. Um, you know, and then it could even be something like style. I mean, I, I think that in a, in a, hyper fast, primarily electronic based communication culture. It's very challenging for people that want to be thoughtful and deliberate to participate in a crazy fast, you know, Slack conversation where someone's making a decision way faster than they would like. That's another form of non-inclusion. So I think we just have to be really careful about identifying where people don't feel included. They don't feel like they're able to bring their whole, their whole self and their whole style, which is a big part of who we are to work. Um, and then we want to look at how is it showing up. So sometimes people may feel, because I think then that helps us figure out what problem we're solving. So if you look at it, I mean, some people may not feel included and then it'll show up in, you know, there's kind of a glass ceiling and they don't feel they can be promoted. Um, for other people, it might be that they don't know what's going on. They're not getting communication. They want to be more involved in decisions or planning. So it, I think it's really important to look at some of these things, uh, like what is the full experience? The way we do it is we look at work engagement, which is I have a positive, fulfilling state of mind in my work, which is the Utrecht University definition. And we also did some work this year on psychological safety. So we, we did some research where we compared our sort of high performance questions, which are more operational, to a, you know, another assessment, which was focused on psychological safety. What's interesting is they came back 89% correlated. Hmm. So if you and I are 89% correlated, we're becoming the same person, right? <laughs> Hopefully it's more you than me, but the, um, at 100%, there's only one human left, right? So at 89%, so the fact that something could be 89% asking no questions that are about mental health, nothing about, you know, personal safety and those sorts of things just tells us that the things that make us perform, the things that make us engaged, the things that make us feel safe and included, they're actually all the same thing. So the good news is that we're only really trying to do one thing as leaders. Um, and there are ways to do that with, with data, but it's really important to make sure we understand 
where people may not feel included, and then how does that manifest? Because otherwise, we're not fixing the right problems. We roll, yeah. roll out all these programs with best intentions, and they miss the mark. Yeah, that, that, that's fascinating. And it seems that there, there, there's one very powerful component in here, which is the deliberate and intentional action by the leaders mm -hmm. to create those safe spaces, psychological safety in their organization for people to feel included. Mm -hmm. And if they don't feel included, to say so, right? To, to, yes. to be in a space where they can say, you know, you guys are doing this on Slack and I can't keep up with Slack. You know, is there any mm -hmm. other way for me to participate in the decision-making process, which is, you know, or can you provide me some resources to help me with Slack? Uh, just using that, that example, because it's not the first time that I hear that, you know, a lot of organizations yeah, right. uh, use Slack as a communication tool. I love it. It's super overwhelming, uh, and especially for people <laughs> who are less tech-oriented, if you will. So backtracking a little bit for, for the idea of leaders being intentional about creating that safe space, how can they do that? How can they, what should they do first to create that safe space? Yeah. So I mean, the, the good news is that what we, you know, we try to figure out what we want to do as leaders. A lot of times leaders think they have to have all the answers and they don't, they just have to have the questions because the people who are experts in engaging themselves or making sure they're, you know, included or, or to your, to your point, making it clear when they're not feeling that they're having a good experience, the experts on that are your people. And so what we want to do is create an environment to just ask them the right questions. They'll give you the answers. You don't even need to figure it out as a leader. You, you just need to be committed to making that a reality. And so, um, you know, we, we do things with validated assessments and other things, and those are super powerful way to get a comprehensive view. But the other really simple way um, is a leader in a one-on-one -on -one every single time. So first of all, have deliberate one-on-ones, make sure you're having them consistently have them with video if you can, and just ask the question, your own variation of it's fine. The question I like is what is hard right now? What isn't working for you? Just ask that. We don't need to ask, you know, massive surveys and things. Surely we do that and you do that on a periodic basis. But if, you know, Enrique is having an issue and he's on my team, I don't want to find out in six months as part of some assessment. I want to know now. Yeah. Performance. Right? And so <laughs> if you have the right relationship with your team, and ask that question and then be ready for the answer, be ready to do something with it. Because if you're going to ask the question and not do anything with it, you actually might as well not even ask it. It's actually worse. Yeah. It's actually better to not even know if you're not going to do anything with it. But um, that simple question of what is hard right now? And it doesn't have to be work. It can be whole life, right? So I mentioned, you know, the school-aged uh, children. I got a, a blog we're going to put up this week about what are some things that are hard for people, period, not just at work. So 69% of mothers with school-aged children have reported uh, negative health effects because of the stress during this pandemic. And a lot of that comes with school. Either people, it's like this double-edged sword. Like people are worried about their kid going back to school and safety, or the kid isn't going back to school because, you know, COVID-19 is, is higher in their area. And now they're worried about their kid falling behind. No. So you're, you're either worried about your kid being safe, primal fear, or your kid not having, you know, the right socioeconomic position at some point, primal fear as a parent. So it's, it's, you know, we just need, so that could be someone's thing. There could be other things where people have school-aged children and it's not hard because they got a private school and it's easy to go. So I think the big thing is just ask people. Don't try to think ahead. Don't try to overthink what might be the issue and everything else. Just ask people, but do it every time and then be ready to do something with what they tell you. Don't just ask because someone told you you're supposed to. That is, that is fascinating. You know, what, one of the things at the beginning of March of this year, somebody asked me, actually a few people asked me, you know, what do you think we should be doing in our organization mm -hmm. to to adapt. And 
I, I mentioned a couple of things about mindset, uh, creating the infrastructure to operate in this new environment. And of course, I talked about leadership. And one of the things that I said to people was, your leaders will have now the responsibility to come, to come out as the humans they are. Yes. And a human does not have the answer to all the questions. So when you are next to somebody who's your friend and you want to do something about something, you ask, you say, you know what? Hey, we're having this issue. Jeff, what can we do about this, right? That's right. So you are more vulnerable, but at the same time, you are being inclusive just by asking and by, by saying, I don't have the answers to this question. I know we're going through all these problems, but I don't have the answers to these questions. And, and I, it, to me, it's fascinating the amount of ideas that come up from the people who work with you. I mean, you don't even need mm -hmm. to yeah, exactly. you know, go too far. You just ask them and you, know, you unleash all this talent and creativity from your own people. So I love that idea of being very intentional about asking people what, what their ideas are about things that are happening in the organization. Yeah, it's critical. And, and we've, we've seen that if we involve people in planning, that is the single most uh, sort of correlated predictor of work engagement. And it's a predictor. It's not something that's associated with it. Like if you involve people in planning, they will be more engaged, full stop. Like our data shows that. I think the, the interesting thing about what you're talking about there is that it requires some vulnerability, yes. right? To ask the person and not have the answer. But the cool thing is that there are things, one of the biggest things with um, our program is we focus on things we can teach leaders, right? So leaders can give people clarity on what they need to do. Leaders can give people a development plan. They give them feedback. They can assess their performance. They can work on training programs. Leaders can do all that stuff. We talk about things like work needs to be meaningful. So here's the thing about meaning. You can't do it. You can't do it. All, you, you can create a condition. You can create an environment. But at some point, if the person doesn't find the work meaningful to them, and I can't tell you, go find something meaningful, right? The work you're doing, you're doing it because it's meaningful to you. But other people aren't doing that work because it is important. They see it as important, but it's not meaningful to them. Yeah. And so the, the, the sneaky thing about things like collaboration, teamwork, you know, even cultures of accountability, like I know these are all sort of seemingly different topics, but the thread between all of those is that the leader can't do it. Yeah. I can give you conditions to collaborate, but at some point, someone still needs to go be a good teammate. They still need to be able to work effectively with others. I can't do that for them. And I think that's the big thing with some of these things. Like, I can't make you have a good experience. But I can try my best to understand what you need. I can try to give it to you. But at some point, it's your perception of do you have it that will determine whether or not you're having a positive experience. Not me saying to you, go have a positive experience, right? It's like yeah. saying, saying to someone, go be awesome, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you can't. So I think it's really important for, for leaders to, to understand that there's things they can do directly and there's things that they can't. So there's this is a great segue into something that I want to also talk with you about, which is how, how to measure the impact of the work that HR is doing. Yes. And oh, yes. <laughs> it's, I, I know it's, it's a, it's, I think this is a big thing for you. I know, I know you are very big on, on, on measuring performance, using the right metrics. And, and you know, in the, in, the space, in the space of HR, very often we are so heavily focused on the output, meaning how many people are we training, how many hours, how much money we're spending, how many programs we're putting out that we completely miss whether we are making an impact and whether the Amen. outcome is making sense or not. And of course, unfortunately, I think this also is a problem with organizational leaders 
who tend to measure their, their, uh, their performance that way via right. outputs and not impact and outcomes. So I'm, I'm using this as a safe way because many HR programs are geared towards this, towards helping leaders help their people. But we've seen that they are not as impactful as we want those programs to be. Yes. So, so let's, let's then discuss a little bit about how to think about the HR programs and the metrics of success for those HR programs. So what, what do you have in mind when, when we talk about HR programs, metrics of success? Like when you ask that question, I start to get chills. Like this is, this is <laughs> you want to talk about meaningful work? This is meaningful work. This is yeah. our work. So great question. There's so much in there. So let's start with something. You may have heard of uh, this concept. It's been around for some time. Um, it's called employee engagement. Have you heard that yes. term before? Okay. Absolutely. What if I told you, and this is based on research, what if I told you that there is no comprehensive definition from an academic standpoint of what engagement is, and there's no data anywhere that shows that engagement precedes and causes performance? Zero. There's lots of correlation data, but that, does, that doesn't mean it causes it. And so our research shows, and we have, we have some more validation we're going to do over time on this, but our research shows compelling in a very compelling way that engagement is actually the end, it's an outcome. So if we are having, if we build a high performance culture, engagement is an outcome. So yes, in a high performance culture, people are engaged. So I'll, I'll use a little anecdote here to, to bring this one home. Uh, right around May, I realized that I was the worst grade eight teacher on the planet. I was trying to help my daughter with, uh, with math and in amongst trying to like, you know, run a business and everything else. I became a grade two, grade, uh, grade eight and grade nine teacher, um, just, you know, in my spare time. One of the things we had to do is calculate the volume. And I had to like go back into the archives for this, right? Like you had to calculate the volume of different shapes. And so things like, you know, how you get like a cone and it kind of looks like an ice cream cone. And yeah. it's like, what's the volume? And I'm like, I don't know, one scoop, two scoops. <laughs> like <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Right. And, and so clearly that wasn't the answer. So don't say that. Hey, on the, the engineering me, it's, it's <laughs> like jumping inside now. Some formulas right? here. <laughs> so there's formulas going everywhere. And so the cube was easy. The cube I got, that was the first one. So if you think about the cube, right, it's, you got length, you got width, and you got height. Perfect. Multiply those three things and you get volume. And so high performance culture is kind of like that. It's like, it's a multiplication factor. So it's in our, the way we look at it, there's three things you need. You need, people need to like their work. That's work engagement. So it's a thing and we want to measure it. So yes, we want people to have a positive, fulfilling state of mind in their work. The next thing that is you want to have psychological safety, but psychological safety, again, is something that we look at as a standalone thing. It isn't. Psychological safety is defined in uh, that we, we use something called guarding minds at work. There's other different methods. Amy Edmondson, of course, has done tons of work. At its root, what we're talking about is, the, is it creating an environment that is, you know, it preserves mental health, preserves psychological well-being. And that's great. When you look a little bit deeper at the definition of psychological well-being and psychological health, is that you have an environment in which you can perform and thrive. Okay, so why don't we, you know, what if we just called it that? So work engagement is I like my work and I, I'm finding it to be fulfilling. Psychological safety could be defined as I've also got a high performance environment. I've got an environment in which I can perform at my best. And then to your point, we also need to achieve results. So we can't just have those two things, right? If we have a great environment with no results, it's like we're at the pub, right? We're hanging out, we're having a great time, but there's, what's the outcome? And so we need all three of those things. But we, if you wanna measure height, you're not gonna measure width. And if you wanna measure length, you're not gonna measure height. And so the key thing is that these are all, these are real measures. 
but you need all three of these things to truly have a high performance culture. And so the big thing for us is when we go in, we know that we measure high performance and, and actual performance because that's where this started, right? We talk about alignment, we talk about collaboration, we talk about accountability like this. Our whole journey started. I mean, I'm a COO, CFO, sales guy. So data and results matter. Yeah. And so for me, we started with that. So we know these things produce results because I've seen it in company after company. But what we, what we don't always see as leaders in businesses is that we've got this, this you know, the survey on inclusivity or the survey on psychological safety or the survey on engagement. There's these HR things. And they are. They are related to HR, certainly. But if you want to hack HR and actually take this to the next mm -hmm. level, what we're finding is more and more in our conversations, we sit down to talk about the survey, which most of our clients still call an engagement survey, but isn't. When we talk about the high performance survey, the business is involved. And the reason the business is involved is that we're starting now to connect our HPI elements, the high performance index, we connect our elements to the top KPIs. And where this works really well, and we're piloting this now with a couple of companies to really nail this research, we're looking at places that have multiple locations. So if you have multiple stores, multiple branches, multiple factories, multiple similar sales teams, or anything else we can measure KPIs across those groups, we know we have, with 98% reliability, rock-solid, high-performance yeah. culture data. Now what we want to do is actually compare that to the key performance indicators in a company. What we're going to get from that is if we have a large enough sample across all these different stores, we're going to be able to give a company not just an interesting survey with how did each department do and high performance. Like that's useful. What's really useful is to look at what are the differentiators within an organization of performance. So if there's things that we do exactly the same in every branch really well or really poorly, they're not going to show up as differentiators because we are either doing them well and it's a core competency or we need to do something across the system. But where we have variation in results in the high performance index and variation in results in our key performance indicators, we're going to start to see the blueprint of performance for that specific organization. And it'll vary by organization. But this is the work we're doing now. And one, one of the coaches we work with called us the holy grail. It's like if you can connect these things, and we know we can, we've already seen it anecdotally. What we want to do now is do it on a larger scale in this kind of way. Because we've already seen that if we go into a company and we improve their alignment collaboration scores, we've had multiple companies get record sales results or achieve faster product launches. So we, we've seen that this can happen. But the key thing is that we've got it. We want to have the operational people involved and we want to have the HR and people and culture people involved. They, but we need, we want to have them working together on this and not seeing it as a project that one or the other is doing. And I think that because my background is I've been across all these different groups, I think that's why it's probably easier for us to see this connection point between yeah. these different things and go, this is not something just for HR and it's not something just for the VP of operations. We need to bring these people together. And so that's what we're going to do. And so what we're going to be able to do is say, yeah, if you increase your score on, you know, question seven involve people in planning, you're going to get this result in all likelihood in your performance metrics. Now, let me ask you something. Um, you know, it, it all sounds fascinating to be able to connect all the dots of mm -hmm. all you do in the organization, because, you know, whether we want to acknowledge this or not, organizations in, in the majority of the cases continue to be silos where, you know, the, the metrics of success in operations, in sales, in marketing, mm -hmm. they connect to finance, but they don't connect among themselves. So you don't right. know uh, how your HR processes end up affecting the marketing processes and how the sales process ended up affecting the work in HR. So, so th this requires, based on what I'm hearing, it requires a lot of 
stakeholders to be involved in the organization. Mm -hmm. But how do you sell this to HR? How do you sell the idea to HR that if you do something just by yourself, you know, your HR, that may not have the impact that you want that one thing to have in the organization right. because you, you now have to connect it to all the other dots uh, in, in, in the company. And for HR that continues to think very, you know, transactionally, if you will, that's, that's hard to see, I guess, right? That, that they will have to now start negotiating and, and cooperating and collaborating more across the board and not just within their own right. uh, walls of HR. So how do, you, how do you convince HR to think about something like this? Well, I think a lot of the behavior that I've experienced with um, working with HR teams over the years is that there is a challenge at times to justify why we need to spend money on some of these programs. That's yeah. one of the hardest things for HR leaders I've worked with. And so I guess I'd flip that, you know, maybe this is the coach in me, but I'd flip it to a question to say, you know, what would be valuable for HR leaders about being able to show that they directly impacted results? Not secondhand, not maybe, not with this study and this white paper from benchmarks or whatever, but actually, no, we can show with data that we impact the results of the company. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what is the benefit of that for HR? I mean, most HR leaders I've worked with, they would, they would love to have that. They would love to have the ability to say, look, we ran this program and here's the results. And so what we can do too, is we do things where, you know, if you're doing leadership development work, we have a variation of our assessment where you can assess, does a leader, does a specific leader using a 360, does a specific leader exude the elements of high performance culture? Do they help people align? Do they help them collaborate? Do they help people grow? We also can do the team survey. So if you're doing more of an org development collaboration thing where it's trying to get groups of people to work together, you know, does that group collaborate? You use the team survey. So I think the big thing is that if you use the right instrument and you're using the right intent, you can do this. So I think there's, there's kind of three pieces to it. One is make sure you're using like a validated assessment. I think this is harder to do for HR if you're using some home cooked questions. Like I've seen a lot of mm -hmm. companies that are like, oh yeah, I read an article and here's some questions. And sure, they kind of look like ours, but are they 98% valid? Are they 89% connected to psychological <clears throat> safety? Because if they're not, why bother, right? Like, why would, yeah. why would you try to recreate it? I think that we can help you get people get credibility. But the other thing too, is that if you use your existing KPIs that are already defined across the business, um, what you're going to see is that you don't have to recreate it. You can just start looking at those KPIs and then your survey results. So you could do this when you run an engagement survey and your performance KPIs, just run it all together. But the problem is that there's no data anywhere that says that engagement is actually driving those measures. So the difference yeah. is that we're asking questions of high performance culture and we know that those drive results. So if you, so the key is first knowing that your assessment is valid. The second is connecting it to already agreed upon KPIs. So that reduces the need to go like, you know, engage a bunch of people um, and get them into this program because you've already agreed the KPIs are yeah. already done. And so, and then the biggest thing, it kind of comes right back to the beginning of this conversation. The other little secret thing of your HR is that if you want to make your programs land and be even more effective, you've got to involve the team in doing the debrief. So I'll give you a really tangible example that happened last week of that. I had a client that asked, uh, we had the high performance index and we let people add their own questions. If they have like some questions they really want to add, great, add them. And we'll just, we'll ask the whole thing together. So I had a client that asked, I think it was like 10 or 12 remote working questions, right? Everyone's doing these remote working surveys. I'm like, sure, throw them in on the back of the HPI and off we go. What came back is really interesting. The HPI scores from one of their teams dropped. And when we had talked about the concern that that might've happened before, 
and I'd see this in other companies too, a lot of times the prevailing wisdom is that, oh, maybe it's just hard for that team because you know it's harder to work remote or whatever. But the data didn't say that because the remote working scores were the same across every team. But it would have been so easy to make the assumption that, oh, it's just easier, it's harder for that team right now because they're working remotely. That's not what the data said. So I think it's really important to involve the team in the exercise so you can actually get at what are the core roots. And so in their case, there are issues where the team does want more human connection. They do want to have a better human experience. That right now isn't impacting performance, which surprised me. But I'm willing to bet that if they don't get human connection over the next you know, six months, it will start to impact performance. Yeah. You might have you know, attrition, right? So it will come up at some point. So some of the stuff, it's really important to not just like run the, you know, read the article and get the remote working stuff, dump out the survey. You have no idea if the questions are valid or anything. Like it's important to run this stuff side by side with something that is validated, whether it's our stuff or something else. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the big thing is just make sure like does an HR team, like is there really an HR leader that doesn't want to be doing work that they can prove is relevant? Um, I'd say there isn't. I think there's people that might be hesitant to do some of this work because they might believe that their programs are not driving results. So they don't yeah. want it to see the light of day. <laughs> But if you do it, then we can actually help land that plane. I mean, with some tweaks to different programs, what we found is that we can help HR leaders take existing things they're doing, slightly tweak them, get a bit of a different intent behind it. Maybe there's a couple of different you know, moves or tactics we're using. And then what comes out is that you get a more effective program. So we're yeah. also not like, you know, throw out everything you're doing. But I think there are often chances to do some things differently and they connect it to performance. Like, yeah, step into that space. Don't be afraid of it. It'd be my message because... I think we, we can't change what we're doing if we keep doing the same thing. Absolutely. And, and I think that for, for HR, something like this is, is definitely a wake-up call to be more courageous about saying, you know, we got to do things differently because what we've done is not working anymore. We don't, maybe you don't want to go back to see if it ever worked, but at least you want to say you were just putting money into something that is, that is not working. Right. And I mean... There are so many articles talking about how these very uh, physical perks in offices like, you know, the pool table or the Friday on jeans and the coffee machine, that those things were not really working to drive better culture and, and better performance. I mean, those, are, mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. were nice things to have, but they were not really the things that you needed to, to, to have in place. So definitely a wake up call for HR. So Jeff, as we wrap up this conversation, I got a couple of last questions. Uh, that we normally go on a very brief uh, lightning round, if you will. The first one is one action that you can recommend HR to take today. One thing that they can start this journey of creating high-performing cultures today. I think the biggest thing, especially if people are concerned, is we have a lot of our stuff is about being accessible. So we, on our website, so supportinglines.com, you can take something called a leader survey where people would predict what their team would say and we debrief it for free. So start with that because there's no risk there. You don't have to worry about other stakeholders, corporate complexity. Mm -hmm. Just take that thing. We'll debrief it with you. And then I think people would see right away that there, there, there is a different way to look at this stuff and it doesn't have to be something that is, uh, you know, terrifying. This, this is actually what we do is very straightforward, but it's also super profound. Yeah. Excellent. Second question. What are you the most excited and what are you the most concerned about the future? Well, um, most excited, I think that, you know, I, right out of the gate, everyone was talking about the new normal. And I just think that's such a bullshit term. Like the, the new normal, like that implies that what we were doing before is normal. It isn't. 
I think we're getting more now toward normal, right? I feel more normal, even though I'm only working in the office a couple of days a week. I'm, I'm probably more balanced in some ways from a lifestyle perspective than I would have been. I'm also working as hard or harder than I ever have. So I think that we're going to get to a new better. And I, and I think that some of the changes that have happened here have broken down things like, this company can't work from home. It's not possible. We're different. Not true. And so it just, it's, it's just shattered all these myths that I think we're holding us back from a workplace culture standpoint. And I think that's great. So I think a new better is what we're going to. I think the new normal and whatever, like it wasn't normal before. So I'm yeah. glad we're moving to a new better. I'm excited about that. I think the challenging thing for us is, I think the biggest challenge for us, honestly, is like anything we've looked at, we've got back amazing results. So that we're looking now at really empirically proving that the high performance index drives direct business outcomes. The other thing we're looking at, which might sound a bit like out there, is we're looking at how does the high performance index connect to health and wellness? Mm-hmm. So this is something we're going to look at over the next year. So I don't think it's a stretch. I'll give you a specific example. We, I was talking to one person about um, they had uh, multiple people out on long-term stress leave. I'm willing, to, and it was work-related. So I'm willing to bet that the high performance culture experience of their team or lack thereof was more than 0% connected to the anxiety, depression, and other struggles that they have, which we know impact health outcomes. So it's just like, it's almost like, I feel like I got this like secret ray gun and wherever we point it, it's like, it's all connected. So engagement, psych, safety, wellness, health, you know, you look at performance. I think they're all facets of something much bigger. So what's the challenge for us is actually just really staying focused on what we're going to do and not getting distracted. So I think we need to keep doing the work we're doing with the high performance index and with the health and wellness one, we're actually going to get a health and wellness expert to do, they're going to do a study using our survey instead of the other way around. But I think what we're going to get back, I think it's going to be amazing. I think things like my manager respects me is going to have a direct connection to like health outcomes, which is yeah. awesome and terrifying. Yes. And, and, and that, that's going to be fascinating to see because I think that right? everybody that you would talk to, they would say, I am stressed because my manager is an asshole and yes. I go home and I have problems with my wife, my husband, my kids, because I am in a bad mood all the time. And this is a this is empirical, right? This is an, an, right. Yes. An, an anecdotal, right? But, but when we find the data, we're going to say, well, you know, now you got to fix all these things in the organization. Jeff, Wouldn't thank that you be so- a great survey question? That'd be an awesome survey question. So Absolutely. if we do performance index with you, we should add question 33, which is my boss is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. Start, agree or disagree? Yeah, and then you see how that person feels, you know, at yeah, home exactly. or in their own personal <laughs> lives. They, they will be affected. And, and I think 100%. all of us have been in that place at some point in our careers, right? Yeah. Having the, the, the mental and, and physical, emotional well-being impact of working with, with, a, with a boss who, who is an asshole. And, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if we can correlate those things, now we're going to have a better story to tell to the organization to say, you got to do something about that. You, that person either changes or you got to take him out of the organization because, well, you know, this is what's happening with the team. So, well, and I think, I think the, and I know we got to end here now, like, so for a future conversation, this could be a whole other podcast in <laughs> itself. If like a lot of times in companies, what happens is that these assholes get promoted. Yes. Right. So you put the corporate values and principles on the website and then you promote an asshole. Yeah. So the act of doing that, this is a blog post I have drafted that's coming out within a month. The act of promoting that type of person, who I would actually call unpromotable. When we promote the unpromotable, we actually change the definition of our values and principles. Absolutely. Because we're redefining. It's like, yeah, we need to treat everyone with respect. 
unless you're an asshole who hits their quota. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like the, it's like the theory of theory X and theory Y. I mean, what <laughs> yeah. you are saying is not what you're espousing in reality. And That's right. you know, you say you say we are inclusive, but then we treat people of other you know races with you know with uh, you know contempt or disdain. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, Jeff, this was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for for joining me today. My pleasure. And Always love talking. We'll do it again. Thank you. And everybody, thank you so much for being with us today. Stay tuned for the next Hacking HR podcast. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.